0: move on to our third presentation. Aruzu Azad is a lecturer in medieval history at the University of Birmingham. The title of her presentation, which is probably going to appear, so multiple identities in a frontier land, Balkh and the Iranians. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for the invitation to Ilya and Nick. It's a pleasure to be here today. and identities is something that's close to my heart. Um, and I think what Nick said in his introduction is really speaks to my heart, which is we have to deconstruct also this bit of a peace-building exercise because if you think about conflicts in the world nowadays, the majority of them are internal conflicts. Very few are state-to-state nowadays. And it's uh, largely the rallying cries are about nations, ethnic differentiation, Um, religions. These are the rallying cries to to war. So Armenian genocide, um, of course, but also generally conflicts that are going on today. Um, Identities, as was said in the beginning, are dynamic. They don't stay as we've heard also in the the last two papers. They're not static. They change all the time. Um, And identities are linked to memory. And um, I'm, I'm no expert on, on memory studies, but you will know it's, it's quite a fashionable um, res- area of research. But um, I wanted to, Pierre Nora, who, who is the sort of uh, thinker, uh, one of the main thinkers behind this, says that um, basically there is so much talk about memory because there's so little left of it. And in a way, history accelerates itself in lieu de memoir, or places of memory if there's something that you can, you can latch on to quite easily. And I think Bauch is, is such a thing, the whole place is such a thing. It's a eur de memoir. And I think it's, it's a nice prism through which we can test a number of sort of hypotheses and issues that have already been raised today. So um, let me just um, <coughs> tell those of, those of us who might not be so familiar with it, it is, it is mostly remembered today as a lieu de memoir, as a place where uh, the great poets, one known better as Rumi nowadays, but really is Molana al-Baghis, as the Baghis would like to remind us, he is Grumbach, and uh, Unsuri, other, other great poets came from, it's also known as the cradle place of Sufism uh, nowadays. So um, it was part of, it was one of the four centers of Khorasan, um, uh, in this person Islamic tradition you speak to any hippie trailer who, who used <laughs> to pass through Bauch as they all did, and they will be bound to tell you about having sat up uh with some wise Sufi at the walls where are the walls at the walls of Bach and chatting about you know the great history of, of the mystics and the Sufis of Bauch. Um, but um, the identity in this sort of uh, memory is Persian and it's Islamic, uh, but it is certainly not Iranian. Um, Bach lies in modern day Afghanistan and in Ba province, uh, which is in the north of the Hindu Kush, and the capital of Bach province is nowadays Mazar Sharif which is about 20 miles away from the whole site of Bach. And nowadays, it is the scene of um, heavy uzbek tajik rivalry Um, and you now see a revival of Iranian or Aryan sentiments. I felt it personally when I walked into the office of the director of the cultural and and information department of Bach. And as soon as he realized I was Iranian, he said, we're all Aryans, aren't we? And I sort of speak quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, this is certainly not the sentiment shared by all Balchis, certainly not General Dostum, who has his main support base in nearby Sheverban, part of the same uh, region, and who is obviously in Uzbek. So, what then was the identity of medieval Balchis uh, was it an Iranian one or what? what? So, um, Bach is quite of an oasis. Um, it, it appears as um, this region, which is sandwiched between the end of the Hindu Kush mountain uh, to its south and the the famous Oxus River to the north. Um, but it is actually watered not by the Oxus but by the Balch, which flows um, from the mountains down into this into this. Um, oasis and the sources, the Islamic sources, 9th to 10th century Arabic sources, tell us of a wall that supposedly circumscribed this entire oasis that was about 72 kilometers in diameter, um, but had already fallen into disuse by the time they were writing Um, but it was a distinct entity and then within that you have, so down here the metropolitan, what I call, for want of a better word, the metropolitan city of Baal, the metropolitan area of Baal, which includes another two sets of walled areas, this being the site of the ancient citadel, which some have said dates back to the Achaemenid period, and this being the Rabat, which um, shouldn't only be seen as a suburb, but really um, the city, the medieval city, uh, over which obviously this is not medieval, This was um, the lovely Soviet addition to the city. But, yeah, it was a well laid out city in the medieval period. We know from uh, the sources that we have 11 quarters here, some are identified by profession, some are identified by names of Arab conquerors, we're told that They used to have different names but that was changed when the Arabs conquered the region. And by the 10th century it becomes the Umm the mother, the mother of all lands or the mother of all cities. Um, The area is of course also at the so-called Silk Roads and um, it's a a wealthy area it's um, a a religious and intellectual center in this medieval period um, and there are all kinds of goods that are sold around here that we, we can read about. Um, the main source, my main source for, uh, on Bach is this local history of Bach um, uh, which was written in Arabic in 1214, so just six years before the Mongols conquered Bach and then that uh, went missing according to the translator uh, who, who translated this text about 50, uh, 60 years later um, until it was miraculously found, and then uh, it's the Persian text that survives today. And he explains, the translator explains to us the, the reason for having to translate this text, and it's um, in your handout, um, but it's, it's so that, um, the bulk the is here, so that um, the Persian speakers should not yeah, uh, so that, sorry, the Persian speakers should more readily reach the heart of the matter. This particular section is on the shortening of Ismats, but um, it's also related to the translation into Persian. But um, the, what, what we are basically reading from this is that Balkh is for many Persian speaking at this time. All memory of a previous language seems to have been lost by them. However, Baalhi, which was part of, before Islam, the center, if you want, of Bactria, which extends um, sort of across the Hindu Kush, along the Hindu Kush, to what's today northwest Pakistan, um, uh, and then all the way up towards the the um, across the Oxus, in fact, um, into um, what's today Uzbekistan, Samarkand, so and of other places. And they had their own language, and they had their own religion. Um, so. The religion is the, another excerpt in your handout, number six. Um, you can see, we don't need to read it now, but you can see that Buddhism is not specifically mentioned in this Islamic text, uh, but it's sort of a vague notion of something Zoro-Indic, um, Zoroastrian or Indic. But we know from the Chinese sources that this was definitely Buddhist, We have pilgrims' accounts who give you lots of details on the number of monks who are practicing here, the number of converts in the hundreds and in the thousands. We have specific details on which scriptures they were studying. We have details on which schools, Buddhist school they belong to, in this case the Hinayana, which is a pejorative term for the older version of Buddhism, um, translates into lesser vehicle, vehicle. um, the implication being it's um, inferior to the Mahayana which is considered a more open, more, more modern form of Buddhism at the time of writing. Um, so this is however lost and, um, yeah, by, by the medieval period. Um, from, from the um, accounts of Tavari. We know that the footprint of the Sassanians, this region having belonged to the Sassanian realm, if you want, until the arrival of the Arabs, was extremely light. Um, when the general, the Arab general, Poteba met arrived in Bagh, he was met by one single Sassanian general, according to Tabari. And instead, the man in charge was uh, someone called Barmak, who was the keeper, the manager of the Novahar, which <coughs> was the Buddhist, Monastery of Bach, um, and it should be added that it wasn't only a monastery, they ran, um, according to Ibn al-Tabi, a 9th century art geographer, um, an estate that um, extended over much of the oasis, the Baltic oasis. So they were really running the show in Bach. Um, Buddhism and Zoroastrianism were not the only religions practiced here, this is a multi-religious environment. And here, a fascinating new set of sources have only been translated in the last 10 years Uh, from Bactrian, which is the language of uh, Bach, and I'll talk about that in a minute, um, and Arabic into English. And some of them, some of the Bactrian and Arabic uh, documents, date from the same period. So we have a bilingual administrative system um, in. The from 750 to 7 to the 770s, so the very early Abbasid period, and they all seem to pertain to a family archive. But the reason why I mention them here is because um, they don't cite Buddhist gods in the uh, the documents, which are contracts, for, for example, which is quite common practice for Buddhist contractual documents. They cite local pagan, if you want, gods like Vash. Uh, gods called Dash, the god of the oxes, uh, and such like. June being another one. A word on the Bactrian language. So um, it is here, actually, from an inscription that was find, found at Rabatak, which is in the same region where the documents were found, Toharistan, which is part of the Bactrian region in northern Afghanistan. Um, and here it is in um, what do you call it? Big, big letters, capital letters. Like um, in this inscription, but here we are told that um, uh, they replaced the Ionian, i.e. the Greek speech into the Aryan speech. Um, so this is um, a hangover from Alexander the Great and the Seleucid Empire that followed him, that uh, conquered this region. And here's an example of how this li- this um, appears in the documents. It's an Iranian faction belongs to the Iranian language. So when I look at it in transcription, transcription, transliteration, I can can follow, I can uh, recognise a lot of words, um, but it's written in this very difficult to read cursive script, and this is the oldest document in the corpus. Um, Here are just some examples of these local gods, (coughs) um, so supposedly um, there are images of them in these sites. I won't go into that in detail now. Um, so, it's a multilingual region and yet it's new Persian, this Persian language that um, develops and in fact Balkh is one of the, the sites, the centres in which new Persian develops. Um, so, the origins, uh, so for example the Sh- Shahnameh. Predecessors or precursors like uh, those people, like Dariri, and those people who wrote what eventually became the Shahnameh of Ferdowsi, are from Ba'ch. Um, and so um, there's a reimagining, I think, of Abraham of an Abrahamic and Zoroastrian past that is then crystallized in a Perso-Islamic historiographical tradition, which holds out over the Buddhist one. The Buddhist past. Is forgotten. Um, and so you have this <coughs> translation of local histories from Arabic to Persian which is a fascinating phenomenon in and of itself. Uh, these local histories are a genre that at this time, I'm talking the 10th, 11th centuries, that at this time are really taking off throughout cities in the, ca- the colourful domains but especially in the east then translated into Persian. And it ties, these local histories tie the lives of people with the history of the city. (coughs) The fewest of these people in the Faza Bach, were actually born in Bach, but they all lived there at some point. And their roles are usually described as having um, to protect uh, the city and its inhabitants. So um, even though there, Yes, yeah, so sorry, so yes, there is a forgetting of the Buddhist past and a de-emphasis of South Asian links. But what's still interesting is that the shrines of these people who are mentioned in the local history um, are located in, on pre-Islamic sites. And the local and the handout points two and three and some others you can look at certainly emphasize that point. Um, <coughs> But nowhere do we see a continuity of an Iranian or an Aryan identity in, in the local history. Rather, a place-bound identity that is Islamic and based on a common language that is not Arabic, but Persian. So, to come to my last point, um, um, the resurgence of an idea of Iran and an Iran Zamin happens in the Mongol period, uh, Rashid Din's Famous John of for example, talks about Iran Zamin, Rashiduddin, being a Jewish convent and medical doctor who becomes the vizier of the Ilkhan, Azlan Khan. But only two generations earlier, in the Fazilnava, that is not present. He is living; the author of the Fazilnava is living in turbulent times, and he's clearly lamenting a huge loss. Um, which you can look at in the handout there's an example of that but it is from here on that pre-Mongol Islamic Bach becomes a site of memory we know that from looking at later local histories of Bach up until today that talk about this pre-Mongol period in exactly in verbatim, the same way as the Fazer of Bachle, nothing's changed, it's, it's frozen in time, it's a golden era that's been frozen in time and I put that point in there about Iran and its abuses of the concept of Iranianness, and I take that back to what was said about the dangers of not deconstructing identities such as Iranian. Um, Iranian, I mean, the country of Iran and the language that is spoken in Iran and other countries are two different things, and too often these things are conflated into one. And in a place especially like Bach in Afghanistan. This is, this is um, very dangerous, as I've mentioned previously. So, here are some points just summarizing what I've already said. Um, and I think I'll just echo what James said, James Russell said, and others. I think rather than bringing overarching I- ideologies into discussions about identities, we need to believe in the strength of a multilinguistic and multi-identity society. Thank you.